Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Hi, and welcome to The Stacks, a podcast all about books. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and today we are talking to actress, comedian, musician, and the host of the Yo! Is This Racist podcast, Tawny Newsom. Before we get going, here's your reminder to follow The Stacks on all of our social media platforms for reviews, lists, and much more bookish content. Links to all of these accounts are found in our show notes. Also in the show notes are links to everything we talk about on today's episode. Shopping through these links gives The Stacks a small commission at no cost to you. So if you're shopping anyway, why not help out one of your favorite bookish podcasts? If you love The Stacks, consider joining The Stacks Pack. It's a group of folks who help support the work we do on this show in exchange for perks. We have a virtual book club that meets every other week. You get shout outs on the show and you get to find out about our guests in advance. Plus, you get to know you're helping make a podcast that you love a reality. I want to give a shout out to our newest member of the Stacks Pack, Lisa Sneed. Thank you, Lisa. And thanks to everyone else who joined this community. If a monthly subscription isn't your thing, you can also do one-time contributions by going to paypal.me slash the Stacks pod. Please take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review this show. It goes a long way to helping us reach new audiences, and in turn, that helps me to be able to book us more exciting, diverse, inspiring guests. So if you haven't yet, take a moment to rate and review the show. Our most recent review comes from RD1444. Here's what they say. The Stacks is the book club you always wanted to be a part of in podcast form. Tracy continues to bring on interesting, diverse guests to discuss interesting, diverse books. I love this show so much. The format of first interviewing her guests and asking them comprehensive questions about their reading styles and their books they've read, and then inviting them back for another episode to discuss specific books is genius. We get to know the guests before getting to hear their perspectives on the books. Plus, I've added so many books to my TBR list since listening. The show leaves me relaxed, content, and inspired. Thank you, Tracy, for all the work that goes into this amazing podcast. Well, that's a really nice review. Thank you so much, RD1444. And for those of you who have yet to do it, please take a moment to rate and review the show. It really, really helps. Okay, that's all for me. Now it's time for you to meet the amazing Tawny Newsom. She is a real-life Renaissance woman and a total joy. I hope you like hearing my conversation with Miss Newsom. All 
All right, everybody, welcome back. Today we're here with our guest, Tawny Newsome. Tawny is an actress, comedian, musician, and the co-host of Yo! Is This Racist podcast. And she has an awesome podcast called The Super Group, which we'll talk about very soon. Tawny, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me on your show. I'm so excited you're here. Okay, we're just going to dive in. Why don't you tell us about yourself that's not any of the things that I just said, like Ooh. who you are as a human, not your resume. Okay, not my resume, but this is Los Angeles. I don't know how to have these conversations. No, it's fine. I mean, you can include your resume, but you don't have to reiterate. Mm, I feel like every conversation has to be transactional Got and it. people only want to know why you're valuable to <laughs> yes. them. Well, you're valuable to me because you're lovely and you're smart and you're interesting and Aww. you're beautiful on Thank the inside you. and the outside. This just turned into a compliment <laughs> session. I was not yes. prepared. We're very kind around here until we turn horrible later. Oh, I've seen your dark side. (laughs) It's good. Yeah. So tell us, you're from Chicago. No, Um, that's a lie. You're from Northern California. Yeah, I'm from Northern California. I grew up in the Bay Area in a little town called Vacaville. Um, I was actually born down here in Orange County. I lived in Portland for a while. But I tend to claim Chicago because I lived there the longest. That's the longest time I was in any one place. Uh, I lived there through my formative years. I went to college there. I spent a long time after college there. And I just moved here to L.A. like three years ago. So it's just now coming back to me that I'm like a Californian. (laughs) Are you happy here? I am, yeah. I'm really – I'm very outdoorsy. We were just talking about off mic. And I love camping and hiking and bouldering and all that stuff. So I can do that so much more here. I remember in Chicago we used to have to drive – four hours to go to some dumbass park in like <laughs> Iowa <laughs> but it wasn't it cold there too or there just wasn't that stuff in Chicago yeah there's just not as much terrain and like Chicago as a city is my favorite city to to live in hands down like as a city city I love it um it's clean the transit is great ish uh <laughs> it's really diverse um it's generally pretty friendly so I love the city but as far as like my outdoor life which especially mm. as I get older I've been more into it's been more like balancing, especially for my wild, you know, uh, entertainment career. It's nice to get outside as like a grounding move. Uh, LA's definitely suited that more. So you may be the first podcast that I've said anything except for like, I hate LA, Chicago forever. So you start with compliments and you get really positive episodes. I'm off my game. You're making me so nice. <laughs> no, LA's lovely. I don't like to hate LA. I wanted to hate LA, but I actually really like it here. I feel like I mean, I'm not very naturey. I sit at home with books, but there's it's a there's a lot going on in LA. There you can like a lot of different things here. Yeah. Where I feel like other places, it's like this is what we like here. Like yeah, you know, I don't know. So and I like I think LA. maybe that is part of the problem that I used to have because I definitely came here and was like, I don't. It's not for me here. But I think that's because I lived in Chicago and became like a true ass adult in Chicago. Right. Was very like this is what I do. This is how I get to work. This is my commute. And then I moved to L.A. and wasn't ready to be shaken out of that. I was mm. like, oh, wait, I have to drive. Just as simple as, like, having to drive. I didn't have a car for 15 years. So being like, I haven't driven since I was 16 years old. Right. And I have to kind of relearn that. So I was just frustrated at my own uh, inability to kind of bend. Right. So now I'm now I'm getting now real fancy. flexible. You're like Gumby over here. I oh, love yeah. it. <laughs> um, how did you come to acting and comedy and that part of your life? I guess I was always acting. When I was a kid, I was always like in the school play or um, in chorus. I did a lot of chorus and singing. Oh, right. Of course you sing. Mm -hmm. I knew that. But yeah, it was a lot of just me being a chorus filler, just an ensemble (laughs) kid, you know. And then uh, 
I started taking dance classes and I think I thought like, oh, I'm going to be in like a professional jazz dance company, but I wasn't great. Like I grew too fast and I was just like a little too, I've always had great rhythm, which is why I'm a good musician. I'm glad I finally figured out (laughs) what to do with it. Yeah, what to do with it. Because I think for a long time I had close friends that were really good dancers and I wanted to be this dancer and I was just not good. I just didn't have the physicality for it. I didn't have the, I didn't have the discipline. So then uh, when I was do- that was when I was like 15 16 and I was like in classes with people younger than me like 12 and 13 oh, year olds trying uh-oh. to like catch up because I hadn't been in ballet since I was a child so right. I was like trying to get on point and could never I mean I was so far from that <laughs> life and my body was just like too big and curvy and I wasn't yet like strong and so it was just it was rough but then I had a friend who was doing this um, like after school program she'd enrolled in the local college early and it was all theater classes and she was like if you do this during high school then you get to go uh, to like a conservatory and they'll look at you more seriously and you can go to like NYU or Juilliard or something because my high school was dismal when it came to the arts okay so I went and did that I did this like basically a college like pre-conservatory type program and I went from being in like a dance class with a bunch of 12 year olds to like doing Shakespeare and mask work with a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds. And it. it was very different. So I think I grew up kind of like real quick in that moment and then applied to a bunch of colleges, went to DePaul, um, got a degree in theater, very serious, very serious text work and, yes, you know, Ibsen and all of that. And then, um, but I was always the clown. I was always just like getting pulled into teacher conferences because they were like, <sighs> When we were trying to teach the Grotowski work, you kept making a sound. Because I was like, well, it's, it sounds weird when we jump on the mats like that. So I was yeah. like mimicking the sound. So it was just always this like hack clown. And it wasn't until the Second City in Chicago that like kind of found me. I was doing like a reading of a play. I was still just like trying. I worked at like Chicago Shakespeare and just trying to like plug along as this actor person and Second City was like, hey, we need more people of color, basically. So why don't you come here and, like, you don't have to take classes. You can just work on these smaller shows and we'll kind of teach you the ropes. So once I got in at Second City, it was like, bing. It was like a rocket. Wow. I just, that's all I wanted to You're do. You're like, I found my place. Yeah, just because I was like, oh, I get to be funny and I get to be smart through being funny because I always was like a smart, nerdy kid. But mm. I was just always squirming out of my chair, you right. know? You were like, I need to, I need more silly. Yeah. I and feel that. I, I, I went that. to theater school too. And I didn't know that. Yeah, I went to NYU. Look at you. Yeah, I was Wait, a theater major. Which um, school? I did Strasburg and then yes. classical and then ETW. Oh, you bounced around. I bounced around. I loved classical. Um, my listeners know this because I'm doing it. I'm in the middle of a challenge right now where I'm reading one Shakespeare play a month. Oh, yes. And I'm on my eighth one. Okay. Romeo and Juliet is this month. And I'm so excited because I actually think it's a really good play. And it's- I know people are like, eh, Romeo and Juliet. But it's actually, there's a reason. Yeah, there is a reason. And I loved your take on Taming of the Shrew because I also am like, oh, it's like kind of garbage. Um, but I feel like if you actually produced it and like leaned into how fucking crazy it is that everybody like just kind of turns away from the fact that Petruchio is like so abusive. Mm-hmm. Like I think if you leaned into that and stopped trying to make it like a fun comedy about love and like crazy women, you might actually have a really good play. But nobody, I think, I mean, well, hashtag me too. Maybe they'll do it now. I bet they're, I'm sure all, if any of my like friends who are regional theater directors are listening, they're like, there's a production in Hammond, yes. Indiana right now. You know, <laughs> and I'm sure coming. someone's doing it totally. like right now because it seems so, it's such a perfect thing for right now. Yeah. I mean, there's also, I just read Titus last month mm. and 
I that play that is, one is incredible, and it's like everything right now. Yeah, it's all about like vengeance and like you know the Aaron is like this totally unredeemable black man, and then like the rape victim like can't mm-hmm. even talk, and all these men are around her. As, as I was reading it, I was like, why are we not? What like we, yeah. Can I see this soon? Titus is so complicated. We did that when I was in college, and I remember I I wasn't in it because I was probably goofing around too much. So they were like, (laughs) you'll run lights. Um, (laughs) But yeah, I remember watching it and just being floored by how, or watching them, you know, construct the rehearsals and stuff. And I remember thinking like, oh, this one is tough. That one in Two Noble Kinsmen I did Mm. in Chicago. And there's some Shakespeare show, some Shakespeare shows just put themselves up kind of. And some of them are like, Woo, you really got to work. You yeah, gotta you really got to make this work. Yeah. Into that table work. <laughs> yeah, totally. But anyway, so yes, we have that shared uh, yeah, college I'm glad to know degree. That about you. But I also was kind of bad. But I was bad the opposite way. Like I hated my experimental training. <sighs> and I was like, this is dumb. Like I could tell you anything and you tell me I'm being great right now. Like here mm-hmm. we go. And I really liked like the classical like text work. Like I was much more serious. Yeah. I mean, still cracking all the jokes. But like I was much more into the regiment of it the as structure. opposed to like let's roll around on mats I'd be like no thank you please don't touch me have a good day like I legit <laughs> would be like we'd be doing like contact improv which if you don't know what that is oh, it's basically it. like a movement class where you bump into each other and like when you touch someone you like go with the movement or whatever and I'd be like no one needs to touch me I'll just be contacting the walls and myself and have a great day I used to drive from my home in Vacaville California when I was 16 to San Francisco three times a week to go to a contact improv class with like 40 year old men and women no thank you I was the only kid there in like ballet tights nope (laughs) things I won't be doing things I don't need to revisit uh we're gonna start one everyone come to Tracy and I's contact improv class yes I will be teaching it from behind a screen I'll just be talking to you I'll be playing the music I'll be DJing um do you well I guess I mean as an actor we talk about this a lot on the show as an actor you do a ton of reading yeah and nobody ever talks about it and everybody thinks actors are dumb it is kind of difficult. Well, say say what you think first and then Well, I don't think actors are dumb necessarily. I think there are definitely dumb actors, but there's also dumb everything. Sure. I mean, there's dumb presidents. Spoiler sure. alert. <laughs> um, but I feel like actors do a ton of reading because they have to read scripts and they have to read material and they have to read auditions. But then when you get cast, you have to read like if you're playing a real life person or you're playing a person who's based on a real life person, you have to read about that. And like, you know, so I think that there's a ton of reading that goes into it. Yeah. Um, plus, like looking at a script, looking at a text very seriously and rereading the same words over and over and hearing them and thinking about like there's so much text work that goes into being an actor and I think that people just assume that it's like oh you memorize your lines and then you say them right and it's like how do you think we memorize those lines do you think we eat a a soup and they come into our brain that way um yeah I for a while I used to really be kind of upset with myself because I felt like I don't read enough Mm. quote I was like I have these very smart friends who are not actors who are always up on the latest good book and I realized that I was fatigued from especially during pilot season which we're about to run into you're reading so many scripts a day that reading falls into a different category in your brain it becomes a very work related still enjoyable I still love reading good pilots bad pilots it's so educational I I love reading them but it becomes a place in your brain where you're like okay so before I go to bed 
I have to read these this 35 to 85 page pilot. I have to because I have an audition tomorrow morning. And if I don't know what happens in the beginning, middle and end, I'm going to say some wrong stuff in the mm-hmm. audition and the casting director is going to look at me like I'm crazy. And I know there's a lot of actors out there who don't. They read the sides, they get a gist and they just go in and God bless them. I wish I could book things that way, but I, that's not me. So uh, I, I feel like I was reading a lot of scripts and I wasn't reading a lot of books and I had a hard time reading fiction especially because anything mm. character driven, that space in my brain was just oversaturated. I and see. now, especially with so many things being based on a book, so you're reading the script and then often if I have more than two days before an audition, I'm trying to read the book that it's based on too. Interesting. And then like you said, if you get the role – yeah there's there can be so the amount of reading to do is limitless yeah and it depends on what works best for you as an actor but I came I used to be a really bookish kid so it was my entry point you know the text was always an entry point for me which meant that I wasn't doing any reading for enjoyment Mm. um but then I sort of found a way to which we can talk about later but yeah but it is funny that you say that a lot of people think actors are dumb because I think I'm guilty of this sometimes because I tend to distinguish between like actors and comedians sure and it's not just like people who are stand-ups versus because I'm not a stand-up but I'm an improviser and I'm a comedic writer and a comedic actor and I think that a lot of times when I hang out with or spend time with people who are just straight up actors and who don't have a maybe who aren't writers or who Mm -hmm. aren't comedic in some way I find a real lack of self-awareness that makes me go oh this is why everyone thinks you're dumb is because you're just saying wild stuff yes and it it sounds dumb, but I know you're not because the job that you do is really hard. Right. So you have to be, and especially like emotional intelligence is a big right thing that they have. But yeah, yeah, I just find comedians to be a little more grounded sometimes. I know that sounds crazy. Well, I think comedy also, you have to be talking about your, I mean, comedy is funny because it's observations about the world. Mm-hmm. So you have to have some awareness of things around you. Like yeah. it can't just be about your point of view or like what you see. It has to be about how that is shaped by what's around you or this people around you or the space that you're in. Mm -hmm. And I think that that might play into it where it's like, it's kind of hard to be not self-aware as a comedian because that's your whole job is like, okay, what am I seeing? Let me compute this. Right. And how do I translate to them when I say this? What are they seeing from me? Like not to say we're all saints, but I do find that it makes us. I mean, uh, we could talk about comedians. (laughs) Look, we're rough too. Everyone's trash is what Chasey and I are saying. Everyone's trash. Everyone's bad no matter what job you you. do. Especially whatever job you're doing right now at work where you should be working and you're listening to this podcast. You're trash. Yep, that's right. (laughs) So I want to talk a little bit, speaking of trash, about your podcast, Yo, Is Is This Racist? Uh Because first of all, hilarious name, which your co-host is Andrew T. Yeah. And he is an Asian dude. Yeah, he's Chinese. You're a black chick. Yeah. And you guys... Basically, you have guests that come on the show, and then you talk for a little bit, and then you f- answer people's phoned-in questions of, is this some, is this X, Y, and Z racist? Yeah. I'm like, I don't even know what to say now, because I, I listen to the podcast. I think it's hilarious. What's If you were going to tell someone, like, the quintessential, yo, is this racist episode, if they were going to listen, can you think of one that's like, if you're new to this podcast and you want to understand what it's about, like... Yeah, there's a couple. We've been asked that recently because so I just joined this year. Andrew's been doing the show for, I want to say three years, maybe four. Uh, It's on the Earwolf Network. It is uh, weekly. It comes out every Wednesday. And he's done it in a lot of different formats because he runs the the Tumblr blog, Yo, Is This Racist? And that was the first thing that started. People would send him. They still do. It's still up and running. People will send things they find on the internet or write in things that have happened to them. And he would answer in this very tongue-in-cheek, very satirical way, but also really smart. I mean, 
like dude went to Columbia. He's a very smart writer and mind about these things. Um, and then the podcast was a way for him to do that with a guest and to just kind of get these things on their feet and like mm-hmm. talking about them. And then, frankly, my boy got tired because racism is ooh, exhausting. Business is brisk lately. Yeah. Um, so I had been a guest on the show a couple of times and we just knew each other socially through the Earwolf Network because I do a bunch of shows like as a guest on that network. And he invited me to join him as co-host which I was so thrilled to do because I felt like I'd been yelling about these things on Twitter mm. for so long just for free. Mm-hmm. So to get to have like a structured way to talk about racism and to make it really funny because it's really important to us that the show is funny. And it um, is. Thank you. It's it's hugely important to me because as I say all the time to uh, some of my lovely listeners who I love, but sometimes they're just so persnickety about how we answer things is that like I'm not a journalist and I'm not a, a scientist and I don't even really care to be an expert. I am a comedian with the bonus amazing added perspective of being a person of color who has had to meld those two things her whole life because you don't come up through Second City writing scenes about whatever you want when you're a black woman. You right. write about being a black person yeah, at Second City. Um, so he and I are really like adamant about making sure people know like this is our take. This is why we bring on a third person so that we get yet a third perspective. And it's funny and we have a debate, but this, there's no authority here. Like we're not the racism scientists, much as people would love us to be. Um, I just forgot your question because I my just question went on was just like what? My own. Well, that was good. That was like a good, better breakdown than my like. You guys talk about racism, <laughs> uh, but. I want to know if there was a few episodes that are oh, yeah. like quintessential or good starting points or whatever. Because there's like thousands. Yeah. So we literally hit 1,000 episodes, which is kind of a cheat because, I, I mean, I just joined. So I didn't hit 1,000 episodes. You're at like seven. Yeah. I'm no, at you're like, probably like 40, 50. Yeah. I think I'm at 50 maybe because I joined almost a year ago. Right. Is that math? Yeah. Um, but Andrew, uh, he also used to do it daily. He used to do little mini episodes, like oh, 15 minutes a day. So that's why the numbers racked up. Um, the 1,000th episode, don't start with that one because it's two and a half hours long and it oh. breaks format completely because okay. we just wanted a break from racism. Got so it. we just invited funny people on to talk about nothing, you know, like white podcasts get to do. Sure. Um, <laughs> right. So we, uh, the I think a good one to start with, if you want to hear me, Andrew has a bunch of backlogged stuff. So I would say like find a comedian or someone that you really love. Um, if you want to hear me, we did a good one with DeRay. Mm. We did a great one with John Lovett, mm-hmm. not to totally crawl up the crooked media brown nosing pipeline but um we do love those guys oh, a lot. right they're, i was like what are you saying but yes they both have podcasts yeah they're there. both on there i mean kara brown's been on so many times we're just, I, we're I very have, enmeshed with the crooked family kara brown is the love of my life she She's doesn't know this cool. i'm obsessed with her and oh. she talks about books on her podcast yeah and they always make fun of her and the true story is her podcast which is keep it and yeah. it's also ira and lewis's but it's hers comes out on wednesdays which is the same day this podcast comes out and Truth be told, I actually listen to theirs before I go back and like listen to mine if of I course. listen to this. But I'm like, oh, it's Wednesday. It's keep it day. And everyone's yeah. like messaging me like, oh, stacks day. I'm like, oh, that's nice. You keep it down. <laughs> I know. There are those shows that you have your like day of listen. I, I do laundry on Wednesdays. And so I fold and I listen and I just I feel like I know them. And about three of my friends, maybe 10 episodes into keep it started messaging me being like have you heard of this podcast keep it I feel like it's really like something you would like and I'm like have I heard of it yes I'm obsessed with it it's my whole life my world revolves around keep it it's really it's really good yeah Kara's a good she's a well-read person she's a ty- and she is a tv writer but she's the type of person who I'm talking about where I used to look at people like that and go oh my god everyone's reading and I'm a dummy because all I do is mm. read 10,000 scripts um 
Uh, so those are kind of like, yeah, the John Lovett and the DeRay ones are kind of like, they're funny, but they're like also very smart episodes, as you okay. can imagine with yeah. those guys. And then we have a really fun, hilarious episode with Nicole Byer uh, that we just did a couple months ago. She's just so funny. I'll find all of these and link to them in the show notes so you guys yeah. can go click and listen and then go down the wormhole, ear, <laughs> ear wormhole, your wolf hole yeah. and um, find them. I do want to know. What's the craziest thing that someone asked you? Is this racist? Where you were like, "This is actually not racist." Oh, because um, I feel like sometimes people ask questions, and I'm like, "It's not really racist." Yeah, you know what's funny is that I tend to, I kind of tend to do what you just did and kind of shrug and go like, "That's not that bad." Or my favorite thing is to be like, "That's not racist. That's just rude." So I'm sorry someone was rude to you, yes. but that doesn't count. Um, but Andrew, Andrew's good about finding. Like I said, we're not authorities, so right. it, it's good that we have a different of a difference of opinion. So he's good at finding the racism in everything. Sure. And uh, sometimes I'm just like shrugging it off, but a lot of times our listeners will point out things that I didn't see before because of the nature of like how my privilege structure has sure. been built. So there have been a couple. It's funny. I tend to kind of like erase the questions from my mind after we. I don't ever remember them, but. I remember there was one where a guy – no, that one was racist. Nope. <laughs> I mean, I, my thinking was that there, it must almost always actually be racist. But I feel like sometimes – No, there's some. There's got to be some things. Well, if you think of it. Oh, I, I oh. just recently actually – it might be in one of those episodes I named. I can't remember. But um, a guy said that he – okay, I've never seen The Goonies. So okay. I don't know. Have you seen it? No. Okay. So I've never seen any movie. There is a maybe Chinese character, maybe one of the kids, or he's Asian. I don't know what he is, people, because I've never seen it. Okay. Um, but he he's a character in The Goonies. So this guy called in and said, this Asian guy called in and said, I dressed up as this character for uh, an office Halloween party. And now my boss, whenever he sees me, he just calls me that character. He just calls me whatever that he's like, hey, there's blah, blah, blah. Hey, how's my man? Blah, blah, blah uh, doing. That's not racist. That's what I said. I said, this is just dumb this is just like dumb michael scott boss humor yeah. that and your boss doesn't care to know anything else about you so that's annoying and andrew's point was like the fact that he's reducing you down to just this racial caricature is hmm. right so I, I i'm mixed on that because if a white person dressed up as pippi longstocking and then their boss called them pippi longstocking mm -hmm. is that racist no it, i don't think so i don't think so i mean i understand that like Maybe we should reduce people down to caricatures for like Halloween costumes. Sure. But also, in general. It's a, it's a costume that he chose he that he chose. was excited to wear. I also think that if that person felt enough weirdness to call into a podcast about racism, I almost wonder, sometimes I wonder what doesn't get translated in the call because they're just right. voicemails. Right. So I'm like, what? There's some other tinge that's happening in that interaction with that boss that's making you feel like you can't figure out what it is. So you're calling these people to ask right. like, is this racism I'm experiencing? Right. So I'm almost inclined to go like maybe somewhere there is, and maybe it's right. not in the words he's saying. Or maybe that there's other things that the boss has done. That's made him feel weird yep. about his Asian-ness. Yep. And so this thing that is very tangible yeah. for him, he could say like this happened, but he's leaving out like weird you know, oh, John, what's your favorite Chinese food? We're yeah. going to order for the – like, shit like that where you're like, why are you asking me? Right. Like, and I'm actually Filipino, first of all. Second of all. Second of know? all. Also, like, as as you and I both know that, like, there are so many microaggressions that we just – Are used to. Are used to that sometimes we don't even register them because you're so used to just going along to get along. And if something really doesn't bump you or make you angry, it's not worth – 
you can't call out every single thing. Right. I mean, lately we've been in such a time of white people really realizing that right. these things are happening to us. And so I feel like white people are the ones noticing often. Right. <laughs> you know, oh my gosh, this person was just so rude to you about your hair or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that? If I... If I cared about that ever, I would, I would be exhausted. my mind. I wouldn't be able to live here. No, I'd have to shave my head. It'd be too much. I'd, I would go back to Africa. Like all those racists say, I would have to go back to Africa. I couldn't <laughs> live here. Please send me home. Please. Tell Do me guys, where that is yeah. first because there which, are no slave records to tell us where we're from. But so. also like just generally, just do I get back there anywhere? Yeah. Do I also enjoy your Ancestry.com tests, everybody? I don't get to. Oh I don't God, know. I did 23 Me and it was like black. I was like, that's. <laughs> not helpful and everyone else is like i'm basque french yeah like, my cool, husband bitch. was like 3.6 percent north irish south irish i was yeah. like what does that even mean i'm like how are you both but they you give know, you a damn continent they give you like your they're like this is your cousin and for us they're like dark darker than normal uh, uh i did find one that um is african an- ancestry have you heard uh, of that one i've heard one where it tells you like what tribe you're from or yeah. something yeah i was gonna see if my dad could take that because my mom is white so it's like matrilineal so i can't mm. i can't even take that one but oh. i think if you're if a black relative takes it oh yeah because i've got a white mom too so you'd have to get like a dad or a brother so well that's no fun for me okay do you, since you're not an expert and you're a comedian, but you've also, you're an expert at having lived in the world as a black woman yes. for your life. <laughs> do you feel like now that you do this podcast, you have a responsibility to read or watch or listen to more things that are discussing racism so that you can understand it um, more? I try, uh, I feel a responsibility to read things that are more by perspectives that are not my own. Okay. Even if it's not about racism, like tying into this book that we just read, it is a great way for me to be like, this is not my upbringing. This is not the country I live in. I have a responsibility to read more things Mm. like that for sure. Um, I don't read as many like books on race just because I do feel a little oversaturated Mm -hmm. and because I... I don't know. I think that's not how I learn about that type of stuff. And that's not how I'm approaching the podcast. I'm approaching the podcast like here are personal uh, equivocations I can make. Got it. Here are jokes. Here are extrapolations. Let me know what you think, guest. You know. Do you guys ever have non-comedians on like who are experts on race or no? Yeah. Because they're not funny. Well, (laughs) you know, when Andrew was alone, I think it was easier for the flow and the pace of the show to have a comedian on. Mm -hmm. Um, With me on, the two of us can kind of handle some of the comedy. So we are excited about getting, frankly, just smart, smart folks on there. Like DeRay. DeRay is naturally really funny, but he doesn't often get to be. Right. So having him on was a real test of like, okay, we can sort of handle this like smart, sharp, politically active person. Um, I was trying to get some like politicians on, but... It's funny, the the title of our show is a little inflammatory, so mm-hmm. I think people people who aren't comedians and who don't get that it's tongue-in-cheek are right. a little nervous. Right, that makes sense. I mean, I can't imagine a politician coming on. I think that would be pretty, like, I, I think it would just we be scary close. for them. I would love to hear it, but I think it would be scary for them. Yeah. It's like you don't want to offend people. They just don't want the sound bites pulled of them, right. you know, and we swear so much. Right. I that mean, was We went on NPR, and they were like, why do you swear? Really? They asked that? Well, because they had to pull clips of our show to Uh play, and they could not find a clean clip, and they just bleeped. (laughs) 
they bleeped it. It was like Swiss, Swiss cheese. And I'm sitting in the studio not knowing what clip they'd pulled, just dying. Oh, my God. And they were like, yes, so obviously, uh, you know, we can't play it on here. But the host was cool. It was this guy in Chicago, Tony Sarabia, okay. who I love. But he was just like, tell us why you do feel the need to swear. And we were like, because that's how we talk. Like, who cares? That's me, too. People it's are like, oh, why do you swear? I'm like, I don't know. That's my voice. Those it's are the podcast. words I say. I, lo- I love a swear word. We're all over it. Everyone's yeah. over it. I don't, if you're too precious about it, we're the wrong show for it's you. It's a podcast. It's not. I thought I was on network TV. I maybe wouldn't swear. But oh, yeah. So, you know. Yeah. When the, when the dollars line up, yes, for sure. That's right. Correct. I'm on an IFC show. You won't catch me swearing there. No, you're very tame. You can be tame. If if paid right, I can be tame. Yeah, but Otherwise, this shit is free. Fuck, fuck shit, bitch. And more. <laughs> Coming to you live from Stax Studios in my house. That's going to be your your paywall show. It's yes. fucks shit, bitch, and more. <laughs> yes, from, my, from the Stax Network, swearing and more with Tracy. Fuck shit, bitch. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Ready to elevate your home? Picture this. Central heating, a cozy fireplace, or your dream walk-in closet. Build a backyard oasis, go green with solar panels, or start a business. It's all possible with Figure's Home Equity line of credit. Unlock up to $400,000. Apply online in five minutes. Funding in as little as five days. Head to figure.com and transform your home. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Okay, let's talk about books because I guess allegedly that's why we're here. I've heard that. Yeah, this is a show about books, but I always get so excited to talk about everything else that I'm like, oh, but you know, this is the fun part. 
we always start here. What are two books you love and one book you hate? Two books that I love are Vagabonding by Rolf Potts. Okay. Do you want me to go into what they are? I want you to tell me just like a little bit. Don't spoil it. A little, you know, one line or two Sure, liner. sure, sure. I'll give you the log line. This is like a yeah. pitch meeting. Like yeah, a perfect. fancy pitch yeah, meeting. Yeah, elevator pitch. Here we go. Okay, so Vagabonding by Rolf Potts is about the art of inexpensive long-term travel. Okay. And about solo travel and just about rethinking how to build your life so that you can travel. Mm. Uh, Another Country by James Baldwin. Okay. You guys did it on here, right? No, we did um, Giovanni's Room. Oh, God. Yes, that's so another good. one. Oh. Uh, another Country is a tale of a bunch of New Yorkers uh, of all different races in co-mingling. And it's James Baldwin, so what more do I need to say? Yes. It's James Baldwin. I've not read that one yet. Uh, I know that I need to. It kind of centers on like a jazz musician first and then his sister. And yeah, so it's like. Is it short stories? No, no. it's it's a long narrative, but it's just very like um, intertwined. Everyone's mm. everyone's related. Um, and it's very New York, which I've never lived there, but I always have this romanticized feeling of if I was an artist in New York in the 60s. What it would be like. So yeah. great. Um, one book I hate. I hate saying what I hate because I know how hard it is to make a thing and get it made. You don't. You could say a book that didn't connect with you if you want to be kind and gentle okay. to others. This book was not for me. Perfect. A Dirty Job by Christopher Moore. Never Do you know Christopher Moore? No. Um, I think my stepmom reads a lot of his books because she recommended it to me. Okay. It is – I can't even really tell you what it's about. It's like comic fantasy, which is not a genre that I enjoy. Mm -mm. So it's just not for me, Christopher Moore. I'm sorry. You did a good job getting a book published. Congratulations. Congratulations. <laughs> I know how hard it is. I really do. This is like when I read a bad pilot and all my friends will be shitting on it and they're like, that pilot sucks. And I'm like, do you know how hard it is to sell a pilot? Sure. I fine. understand. It's hard. <laughs> it's hard to write a book. I, you know, we're very not judgy here in the most judgmental way, which is to say, if you don't like something, that's fine. And you're allowed yeah. to not like it. And someone else is allowed to like it. And while I ask you, I'll ask you later, like, what you're embarrassed that you've never read. Yeah. I also genuinely believe, like, you shouldn't be embarrassed about your reading because, like, you're reading something. Yeah. So, Christopher Moore, thank you for your book. Thank Tani, you for your book. stepmother, is, loves it. Thank you for bringing her so much joy. She loves yeah. all your books. Um, But, yeah, it's just, it's kind of a detective-y fantasy genre that, and it's written in a comedic style that's not for me. Got it. Um, Yeah. What are you reading right now? Uh, okay, so right now I'm reading a book that you suggested, but that we didn't end up selecting. Oh, which one? On Beauty. Oh, yeah, by Zadie Smith. I've never read it. I Are just, you liking it? I love it, yeah, because okay. I was torn between those two when okay. you suggested. So I started reading that. Um, I'm also reading The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up, <gasps> because who isn't right now? I love that book. I read it like three years ago, and it is... <sighs> My favorite word because of that book is joy. I'm obsessed with joy. I'm obsessed with things that spark joy. Tawny and I actually know each other through my flywheel class. And yeah. Tawny knows that I always am like, find joy in your pedal stroke. Yeah. Find joy in the ride. Like, I am you a probably, firm like, believer of joy. brain incepted me and said joy so much that it got me to like look yeah. this woman up. Are you doing it? Are I'm you doing do it. it. I'm okay. in the middle of I just did all my clothes last oh night. Oh, my God. <sighs> Have you seen her show, the Netflix show? No. It's called Tidying Up with Marie Kondo. And it is perfect it's like just her her interpreter going into a family's house and just teaching them the steps and there's oh, no nonsense gosh. there's no drama it's just like it's just like cleaning. here's a family i bet that's let's so help them gratifying. clean i'm so type a that i bet that just will make me so happy i love it so much i just and i love that it's not a big like super american makeover show where it's like right. look at their house now and you're like they're never gonna keep it like right. that it still looks like their house they just have less stuff less stuff i love it oh, um so i'm also good. reading my friend gabby dunn's book bad with money i want to read this it it's just good. came out yeah it came out 
on the 1st of January. So it's funny. I'm not a New Year's resolution person, but I'm reading these two very like resolution-y books. Yeah. So do you feel like you're better with money now? No, I'm no, I don't know. My husband and I both have like, we both grew up poor and now we're both like decently middle class and earning in our careers in a way that makes us like, okay, so we have some cushions, so we have to like pay attention to it now. But like looking at our finances gives us both a little bit of Mm -hmm, anxiety mm -hmm. back from when we didn't have any money and we saw our parents like so stressed about money. My husband actually grew up in a commune, so Mm. they would like pool all their money. And he, it was a like kind of an idyllic childhood for him because it was very peaceful and and you could you know. play with all the other kids. Yeah, and- he had tons of kids around all the time. But I do think it gave him literally people would like cash their paychecks and put it in a jar. So I think he's just got a different relationship with money. Interesting. Yeah, he should write a book. Yeah, I like been- a commune, uh, like growing up in a commune. I know. I we were gonna do like a pitch, like for a TV show or something, but. I feel like every every time you come up with an idea for a pitch, your agents and everyone are like, oh, the market's really saturated right now with like cult comedies and cult stories and blah. And you're like, okay, well, then nothing. I get to write nothing. You're like, fine, I'll come back with a boring story about a white lady. Truly like a white lady who accidentally adopts some kids. (laughs) A white lady who gets a divorce. CBS. Brought to you immediately. (laughs) What are your books that are maybe on your shelf that you're hoping to get to or you're looking forward to? Hmm. Uh, okay, I'm always like looking for travel memoirs and oh, like right. if I'm about to go somewhere, I'll read a bad travel memoir any day because it just gives me a feel for the country, even if it's through some whack lens, which it usually is because mm-hmm. surprise travel writing is extremely white and extremely male. Although because of the like eat, pray, love boom, mm-hmm. it's been very white women that are yes, suddenly talking white. about what they've learned from all the lovely brown people. Um, <laughs> But... <laughs> <laughs> it does still I still will read them I've yeah. read some real whack books just because it's like okay this is one idea of what this place is like now right. let me go there um so yeah before I go overseas I always like find a book on that someone who's traveled there wrote uh specifically I have had Between the World and Me by Ta-Nehisi Coates on my Kindle for like since it came out and I just haven't You've gotten not to read it. it no oh. maybe that should have gone in my like embarrassing one that's that okay we yet. did an episode on it with probably, Jay from Extraordinary Negroes. Oh, yeah. That was the book Jay did with us. Um, yeah. It's a really good book. Spoiler. Yeah. I, I don't know if you've heard. He's mm. a great writer. It seems like it'll be great. Yeah. <laughs> it's supposed to be really good from what I understand. No, it's great. And it's such a quick read once you get into it. Um, he's so smart. Yeah. And really good at framing the world in a different way than everyone else I like people like that where they'll look at some I mean James Baldwin is kind of like that where you're like oh you're looking at the same thing everyone else was looking at and you created this narrative and framed it in a totally different way and now I understand it yeah and before I didn't get it or whatever literally like the idea of because I used to when I was like in high school I remember trying to get into Hemingway because I loved the idea of like the expats lens you know Mm. leaving this country and looking back at it and what I didn't realize was I was yearning for a person of color to be doing that Mm -hmm. because I think I was looking at the expat like oh you're an outsider like me like you don't feel embraced by this country I see and so to find James Baldwin who's like black gay Hemingway basically or arguably better to have his you know triple lens right was you know even more yeah yeah. I don't even know where so I'm going good. with it. Just I know, I, loving just James great. Baldwin. And James Baldwin praise. Always welcome. <laughs> What's a book that you like to recommend to other people? Um, I do like to recommend Vagabonding because a lot of people ask me, like, how do you travel so much? You much you must be rich. And I'm like, oh my God, if you saw the places that I stay and the things I that see. I do to stretch dollars, read this book. Um, another book that I really like to recommend is 
You'll Grow Out of It by Jesse Klein. Okay. I love a lady comedian memoir-y type thing. And that's one of the funniest, just just laughs on laughs on laughs okay. that, you know, so if people just want to read one of those and they're not sure which lady comedy writer to delve into. She's a good one. I think it's a great one. And what's a good book that someone's recently recommended to you? I I really think this one. This is oh, the Home best. Fire. That's yeah. the book we're doing on the show um, next week. Home Fire with Camila Sh- by Camila Shamiz. Shamsy. Shamsy? Shamsy. That sounds nice. I think it's Shamsy. Um, you liked it. I loved it. Okay. We'll talk about it next week. Okay. Yay. Yay. I'm so excited. I also <laughs> loved it. It made my top 10 this year. Really? It did. <gasps> yeah. Oh, I I'm thought so it was glad so we great. picked it. Me too. Do you, do you set reading goals for yourself? No. Because I... I've learned to be content with uh, the way my reading tends to come in waves. Like right now I'm re- – and really you kicked off this wave by inviting me on the show. Oh. So I'm reading Home Fire and then I read the other book that you had on the list and then I'm reading the, that book by my friend. And so I just kind of like kicked off a moment for me of reading. And that's how my reading tends to go, like right. in huge fits and spurts. And then in dry spells, usually when I'm reading a ton of scripts. So mm-hmm. um, like pilot season, yeah, no reading. But although last pilot season, I remember I read um, Shrill, which I'll bring up later, I'm sure, because you're going to ask me a question that I'm going to be like, Shrill's the perfect book for that. Because um, uh, they're making a show out of it. Okay. And so I went back and read the book because I was auditioning for it. And reading that book led me to other books. And I was like, oh, so then I was in like a little phase in the middle of pilot season, which was not great (laughs) not helpful for your script reading no not at all are there genres that you read or that you avoid I avoid fantasy okay me too I have to avoid I can't do it my husband that's all he reads really he loves it I shouldn't say it's all he reads a lot of things but it's his it's his genre that's like what he likes what do you like I like a I like a I like a travel memoir even if it's bad I like a comedy memoir just because it feels like I'm learning about how to do this work. And, right. you know, I try to read them um, by women mainly and try to read them by women of color. So even – I know, like, Mindy Kaling got a lot of shit about her books. but She did. It, they were helpful to me. Were in, they – what kind of shit did she get? Um, Just, like, they're a bit surfacy and uh, I'm not passing this off as though this is my take because it's not, but this is what was said about her, I think, is that she doesn't seem to be that much of a champion for other people of color or other women of color. And she was a little, I don't know. I feel like she got shit from other actors in the biz about how she was talking about doing sex scenes and stuff. And she was just like, she's telling this false narrative of what it's like to be an Mm. actor. And so I knew actresses and stuff that were annoyed, but Honestly, like I read her first book when I was kind of just starting and and starting an on camera stuff. And I was like, wow, Hollywood, I had no idea. And it was just (laughs) helpful to me to hear it from a brown woman, even if it wasn't entirely accurate. Sure. So, yeah, I like a I like a lady comedy memoir. Amy Poehler's Yes, Please is really good. Did you read that? one? I've not read that. I read Bossy Pants. I actually have a confession that I dislike comedy. Sure. I like to laugh. Like, you know me. I like to laugh. I like to have a good time. But for whatever reason, comedy is not something that I like. Like in fiction form or even I don't like to read it. I don't love a comedy movie. Mm. The only like comedy, like funny thing that I really like is The Office. Yeah. But that's also framed as like documentary. So like the framing works for me. But like Mm -hmm. I don't like stand up. I'm not wild about improv. Improv. And I like to laugh. Like I it's I'm not like that a serious of a person at all. But for whatever reason, comedy doesn't call my name, especially in books. You're like a structure person, it I sounds am. like. You want I a am. specific structure. It's like, I do. <laughs> that makes like total sense. That's why you didn't like ETW. You wanted yeah, like. No, I wanted to be told what to do. I also <laughs> don't like magic. 
which is similar mm-hmm. to me in comedy, in live comedy, in the sense that it's like, I have to have this reaction. Like, yeah. I have to laugh or like, you can see me not being into this. And now I feel uncomfortable because you're not funny. And this is not how I wanted my Friday to go. Girl, you're preaching to the choir. It's really hard to go. It's really hard to be in comedy and go attend anything Ugh, comedic. No. I can't go to stand up. I can't. It's really hard because you know, like, because either they're not playing to you, they're playing to a, an audience that isn't as versed in comedy. Mm-hmm. So either you're seeing the punchlines or if not the punchlines, you're seeing the formula. Mm-hmm. So you, it kind of feels like I'm at work a little bit right. or I'm judging their thing. And even when I'm trying not to judge it and trying to just enjoy, I'm still thinking like, oh, if I were to tell that joke, I'd do it a little differently or watching improv. And I, I can't be swept away in it because no. I know most of the mechanisms. Right. So I, I'm with you for different reasons on not enjoying live comedy. Yeah. I still think people should go though. Everyone go. Yeah. Go see it. Most people like it. Like when I used to live in New York and they'd have the people on the street being like, do you like live comedy? And I'd be like, no. No. And they'd be like, do you like to laugh? And I'd be like, no. no. I, I, and I also don't like this conversation and I'd like to keep going. Like oh, this is, yeah. I don't like it here. It's really hard for me. I love the magic castle and it's hard for me to go there because I know that my face isn't doing what it's supposed to do. But I, I hate magic. I, I like want to like it. I do like it. I, I, I like being surprised. I don't care to know how the trick is done i'm not trying to figure some shit out i just want to sit there and be like cool but like going oh wow cool is not enough for a magician because they've worked so hard they want you to go oh ah no i when i i am like please don't ask me to pick a card please don't come talk to me (laughs) i don't like this i don't like feeling like you're tricking me i don't like like i i hate this feeling like they're tricking like i know that like it's like i'm gonna pull a card it's the four of hearts i know you're gonna tell me that in three minutes anyways like this is it we got it i know you know (laughs) you know like you know i get it like we're already it's fine i'm done may i leave may i be excused we have these great family friends and they have a friend who's a real like serious musician his name is luis magician but I he's musician. a musician because I like music he's a magician and he's from Spain and he's like a big deal and he like just won a big award a year or two ago and he they, our family friends invited us over to their house and he did a private show for like eight of us with just cards and I was sitting next to him uh-huh. and was I wanted to be dead. It was my <laughs> nightmare. And everyone else like loved it so much. And I felt bad because like I sure. respect this guy. I understand that he's amazing. And I was so glad that our friends invited us over to be a part of it. But he was like, pull the pull a card. And I was like, no, thank you. And he was like, it's pull a not- card. I was like, my husband will do this. Like, Jake, please pull this card. I don't. And he like, you know, reached behind me and like pulled something from behind my ear. And I was like, I don't want to be here. Please don't it's touch me. It's not for you. It's not for you. I actually like those better. I like the private ones. Like like sleight of hand. Well, because I feel like you can be more. Uh, here's a weird thing. I know quite a few magicians, like just from working in weird like comedy venues mm-hmm. and stuff. So I w- did this like all performers cruise ship thing where it was like a chartered. It was like a nerd cruise mm. where people who do like gaming and stuff can and then you know all these podcasts came on so me and these like magicians there'd be like this performers lounge and the magicians are just like sitting there chilling it felt like more low press but when other performers would kind of gather around and then for six of us they just do a trick that's when I felt like I could stand there with my drink and just be like oh yeah man cool god that's a neat trick instead of like having to perform back perform the the enjoyment no it's all not for me I don't like any of it but you know what I do like books back to the books how do you like to read? Like, where do you like to be your setup? Are you, do you have one place that you do it? Can you read anywhere? Can you read nowhere? I think I was really thinking about this and I was like, where do I do the bulk of my reading? I read most when I'm traveling. Okay. Um, I think it's part of why I like to travel so much. I travel alone a lot. I travel with my husband. I'll travel with friends, with my mom sometimes. Um, and I love like a train ride. Mm. I love like a 
bullet train through Japan or like a weird train through France or something. And I just love like sitting there in the window. And like, mm. I also like that you can drink on trains. <laughs> uh, I just love having like an adult beverage and just being on a fast train, uh, not having to be like dealing with airports to get somewhere. I just think it's something that other countries do so well. So well, we do trains not so great. We don't. We have a beautiful one though that actually was my favorite. One of my favorite reading experiences of last year was I took the Coast Starlight mm. from here to San Francisco. Mm. It takes way too long, people. But if you like trains and you're doing it for like the beauty, of, I mean, you see the most beautiful bends of the coastline, mm. even stuff you don't see on the one because it goes through um, Vandenberg. Okay. Is that what that is? I Air Force know. Base. There's a big Air Force Base where the train tracks get closer to the ocean than the oh, highway the does. Okay. Yeah. So you get to see stuff that I hadn't seen before, even despite living here so much. That sounds nice. I read in a train in Italy. Yeah. I read. We're going to Japan, so. You yeah. are? Yeah. I'm oh going to read gosh. some Japan books before I go. I'm very excited. Well, I spent a month there. Oh, my uh, God. Tell me when you need tips okay. or people to connect with. Yes. Well, this will do off air. Um, or would you all like to be part of this? No. That's a separate podcast that we do it's called all, yes. Japan Tips. Japan, Japan Tips and phone numbers of people Tawny knows. <laughs> what about uh, the last book that made you laugh since you like to read funny books? I actually think Shrill by Lindy West. Okay. Have you read it? No. It's I don't not, like funny books. It might not be. It's not necessarily. It is very funny, but it's also like really makes you come face to face with some of your own like fat phobias. Mm. And it really gave me a lot of empathy and made me realize how much like thin privilege we all benefit from mm -hmm. and how it's real, even if you don't feel like a thin person, because I've always felt like a bigger person. But to understand that in the grand scope of things. It, uh, I'm not so mm -hmm. it really like it was really helpful to me and she's a really funny writer but she's a journalist you know so mm. she's so she's like a good writer too. yeah it's coming from a place of it's not a, a comedian writing a memoir it's Got coming it. from a place of like here's a specific time in my life and how we handled it and there's tidbits from when she was at The Stranger with Dan Savage and okay. it, it was really it, it crossed into a lot of genres for me that I wouldn't have normally sought out oh nice but uh I think she's a fantastic writer it's really good there's a book by Roxane Gay called Hunger, which is her memoir. And it's also a lot about, I mean, it's called A Memoir of My Body. So it's about her body. Mm -hmm. And it's similar in, I mean, when I read it, I, I listened to it on audiobook. But when I listened, I was like, wow, this is something that I'm going to have to start actually thinking about that I just never did about like sizeism and yeah. thin privilege and all this kind of stuff that is, um, this book is much more serious sounding than what you're talking about which is probably accurate for me no but this that one's on my list too yeah it's good I mean it I don't recommend it on audio because she reads it and it was actually hard to listen to her saying the words sure like because it's pretty painful yeah um but it is an interesting thing to hear about because it's kind of one of the it's like I know about racism and I know about you know homophobia or queer phobia mm -hmm. and I know about you know ableism and there's so many things and I never had really thought about sizeism and like she talks about like chairs yeah oh my I god Lindy West about talks about chairs. airplanes yep and I'm like airplanes. oh my god that is of course that's right. a nightmare right for you. and like things that are embarrassing that are not that I never would think are embarrassing mm -hmm. and now I think about that and it's and it's because of our upbringing, the society we've been taught that that is a thing you can change about yourself. Right. So those people don't deserve empathy. Right. Because like you can't change your race or your gender. So we understand how not to discriminate in that way. But right. because it's because being fat, not used in a pejorative way, just in a factual way, being fat is something that we can all be. 
It is right. possible for almost every single one of us to become fat. We are so much more afraid of it and thus so much crueler to people who right. currently are. Right. Yeah, that's so interesting. Okay, I have to check that. You're the second person to bring that book up on the show. It's really good. Well, it's about to be a TV show with um, my friend, Aidy Bryant. Just had to name drop. There you go. Um, Shout to Aidy. No, she's going to be in it. And it's so, the pilot was so good. I bet the rest of the show is just as damn good. So, Do you know what channel it'll be on? Ooh. It's okay. Who knows what channels anything is well, like, on I anymore? I mean, like the network. No. Hulu, maybe? Okay. Yeah, Hulu sure. sounds right. It's I, one of those. It's an internet. Oh, okay, an internet. An internet <laughs> conglomerate. Yeah. What's the last book that made you cry? This one, Home Fire. This made you cry? Yeah. Okay, we'll, we'll save this. We'll save this. What about a book where you learned a lot? Okay, Bill Bryson is kind of whack. Okay. But In a Sunburned Country is a really detailed account of his travels through Australia. Okay. I think over like five different visits, and he really gets into the outback, and he goes really bizarre off-the-beaten-path places. Not bizarre, just uh, unknown to most Americans. And I really learned a ton about Australia. I haven't been there, but I've got like a mental trip planned for next year. <laughs> and um, generally, like I kind of roll my eyes at the Bill Bryson white guy travel writers, but uh, he's very factual to the point where sometimes it was so dry. Mm. And his is the type of comedy that I don't like. I don't like um, winky kind of dad humor. No, Ooh, make fun of myself and blah, blah. Like it, it, it's not good. So when he's being funny, which I know a lot of people are like love Bill Bryson because he's funny. That's not why I like him. I like Bill Bryson's research that he's done. Got it. So then I don't have to do quite as much on Got my it. own. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was very informative. I'm not not hard recommending it. Soft recommend. Soft recommend. If, if you're like going you. to Australia and you want to learn about like how big crocodiles are in certain regions. Okay. <laughs> I love that you what you like about him is not what like I, that's one of the things I like about books is like you and I could recommend a book I could recommend you a book and I could recommend the same book to my mom mm -hmm. and I would recommend it to you guys for different reasons yeah because of who I just think that's really cool and like a lot of things it's like oh I recommend this restaurant because the food is good mm -hmm. right but it's like oh I'm recommending you this Bill Bryson book because I know you like factual travel whereas like mom I'm recommending this to you because I know you like white guy travel or whatever yeah. I don't that's not true of my mother that I know <laughs> just an of. example <laughs> but she does like Rick Steves is that his name yeah she loves a Rick Steves. I can't. Well, you know. I can't with any of them. I'm just like, we're done. We're done seeing the world through this white dude's lens. Sometimes Rick Steves has good restaurants. I'm going to give him that. Sure. Sure. Anybody can have a good restaurant. <laughs> you know what I'm being sick of? I'm being sick of told by white travel writers, especially by white women travel writers, who are telling me about the perceived dangers of a place. Because uh, what's dangerous for you is not dangerous for me almost nine times out of ten because I have traveled places that these white women go that they say is great and lovely and safe and wonderful and I am harassed and treated poorly and I'm scared and I'm like if right. I wanted racism I would have stayed in America and not right. paid a fucking exchange rate right but if it's <laughs> if, if I'm go if you don't tell me I can't go somewhere where there's predominantly brown people and right. I'm gonna blend in more than you right. and it's gonna be dangerous right. I'm, it's not dangerous for me right. so that's why I'm just like over I, I really need to like diversify my travel memoir reading because yes. this is a problem that I'm bringing on myself because I'll just grab a book from wherever like I'm going to Croatia and then I'll read it and I'm like shut <laughs> up no please no <laughs> you need to write some travel memoirs I know girl I have so many projects I I when well, do I, I do all of them if you write a travel memoir we'll talk about it on the show and get everybody to buy it and you'll become the rich famous traveler memoirist okay tell, what do I write it like about one country or just about like 
you know what? I'm going to let you take those creative juices. I'm going to let you take it. I'll be your consultant. Okay. I'll get a producer credit when the TV show comes out. I can't wait. I'm, I'm going to do excited. the laziest thing possible. Just name it after everything here and just be like the black girl's guide to sipping tea, smelling candles and <laughs> podcast do- travel, podcasting it all. You've done it. Congratulations. Your book's a New York Times bestseller. <laughs> oh, Every you. black person who's been wanting this book has <laughs> right. purchased it and read it. It's true. Travel is one of those things where it's like, just because like I just went to Colombia mm. and I went to Medellin and it mm-hmm. was the greatest travel experience, maybe one of the greatest of my life. Cause I was like, everyone here is me. Yep. And then I went on some blogs before I went and it was like, be careful. Watch where you walk. And I'm like, yo, if I like, I, you could say that about any city. Mm-hmm. Like literally t- want to talk about Hollywood. Be yeah. careful. You it's scary. About, all y'all love Rome so much. <laughs> I like, I go hard on Italy because they are so, they can, they can be very racist against black people. And my dad and I experienced a lot of racism in Italy. And I was just like, I don't, I don't need to be here for this. Right. I don't need to see the canals right. for all that. Right. Um, but then I just went to Istanbul last month and uh, this was before things got really bad in Istanbul, but it was still like the travel warning was red or some shit. Mm-hmm. Like our, also our state department travel warnings are garbage. Yes. Look at like three other countries travel warnings. If you're going to look at ours before you go somewhere. Cause the UK said it was like green or whatever right. to go there and the U and the U S is red. Um, but I went to Istanbul and I was like, Oh my God, this is Brown people heaven. Everyone's right. Brown of some kind. And no one ca- There's no pickpocketing in Paris. You're like constantly worried about yes. being pickpocketed. Anyway, I can talk about this forever. Yes, our other podcast, <laughs> Traveling While Brown. Boom, yeah. there it is. That's the title of your book series, and you can do one on all your different countries. Okay, well then, like, cut this part out because people are going to steal it. Oh. Don't steal my idea. This is a joke. This is a joke. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what are some books that you're either embarrassed to have read or books where you feel embarrassed that you've never read? I have read every single one of Chelsea Handler's books. Oh, why did I do that? No, thanks. Well, I don't know why I read one and said this is a good idea to continue. That's she's a hard funny pass for me. But is like she? sure, ish. I mean, she's as funny. I think I was just like it was I was starved for women comedians that had okay. books. Okay. Because she started doing it um before a lot of people did, or a lot okay. that I knew about, I should say. Okay. So I think I read one and then was just like, oh, she wrote another one. Oh, she wrote another. Sure, sure, why not? And I think it was like distracting plain reading. Mm. But man, it's, I don't tell people that. I don't tell people that I read them. <laughs> what about something that you're embarrassed that you've never read? Girl, I have not read Ain't I a Woman. Neither have I. Bell Hooks? I've not read it. I feel like everyone's read it. Everyone no. smart and black and cool is always like, Ain't I a Woman, Bell Hooks. Well, I might not be smart and black and cool, but I've also never read it. So Okay, well, it's, it's also on my list. It's sitting there with the Ta-Nehisi Coates book. Oh, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. What about a favorite book from childhood or adolescence or whatever? <sighs> This is, I think you might laugh at me, but in a good way. Okay, I hope. It came out in 1986, so technically this was my childhood. Okay. I love The Beach by Alex Garland. The Leonardo DiCaprio movie? Oh, yeah, girl. That's not a children's book, though, is it? You said a book from childhood. No, no, it's fine. You didn't say a children's Ah, book. That's right. You're right. It is decidedly not a children's book. There's a lot that happens in graphic. When did you read it, though? When I was uh, 13. Oh, so you did read it as a child or adolescent. Okay. Because it came out in... Oh, no, maybe it came out like 94. Anyway, I read it at like 13. And it was so, I think it spurred my love of travel, which is crazy because he has a horrible experience. (laughs) I've seen the film. Yeah. And I don't remember much, but the film came out shortly after Titanic. Uh Uh-huh. And that is why I saw the film. Yeah, a lot of- I do remember feeling like- these movies have water and Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh-huh. And that's the Venn diagram. 
the I also love the movie and okay. I am in a minority of people who love the book and who love the movie. Most people either hate the movie, love the book, hate the movie, or just hate both. Okay. Got it. I don't know anyone who loves both. Okay. The movie gets wild. I mean, the last like third of it is just a weird video game and it's too, it's crazy. Okay. Okay. I love the beach. Everyone go back and read it. <laughs> That's a strong endorsement for the beach, everybody. What's a book that you read where you saw yourself reflected back? Can I say a play? Yes. That's reading. Um, It is reading. When I was in high school, I read References to Salvador Dali Make Me Hot by Jose Rivera. Oh. And I didn't understand why at the time because the characters in it, here are the characters in it, uh, an army wife, her husband who's away half the play, uh, and they're uh, Puerto Rican, both of them. And then uh, it's magical realism. So it's like the moon in her backyard and her cat that kind of like come to life and talk to her when she's lonely and waiting for her husband. So why, when I was a teenager, did I think that this was like, this was you, this was me. And I think it's because I grew up in like a rural area. I grew up on like a ranch in Northern California and there was a lot of, I'm an only child. So, and I'm like the only brown person because my mom was white. So I lived on this ranch and then I go see my dad Mm. in the city, but like, on these like long ranch nights I just had this feeling of being like this brown person surrounded by all this land and like darkness and having to like make my own fun and kind of you know generate things of interest for myself out there and it was very like it wasn't ever lonely it was just very like peaceful Mm -hmm. and it kind of built the foundation for my life of being able to have fun anywhere and to value traveling alone um so I read it as a teenager and I was so struck by her loneliness and I actually found it comforting because I'm like oh she's found a way to like talk to the sky and talk to her cat that's so interesting I just thought it was so sweet and then it's like a weird long domestic squabble with these married couples that I was like yes I also understand this also I feel this as a youth yeah I'm 15 and I get this I get this that's amazing were there any books that influenced your professional career or like that like made you inspired to want to be a performer or a um, podcast host, or a comedian, or a mis- musician, or I guess like all of the all of the lady comedy writer books that I mentioned previously helped kind of along the way. Just made me feel like, oh, I have some company. Like you mentioned, bossy pants. Right. Um, I was never like the hugest Tina Fey fan. I, I liked what she did, but I, she wasn't someone who spoke to me. But reading her book made me go like oh yeah she was at second city too and like whenever anyone talks about second city it's kind of a nice you know we have this like alumni kind of like warm feeling like Mm -hmm. oh these people all pass through these same doors and hallowed halls of comedy they went through the same bullshit that i'm going through right um so yeah books like that and then some of these travel memoirs like there's one called lost japan by alex car that is not at all to do with entertainment he's literally like a travel writer and he lived in japan for a long time but it gave me the sense of like balance, I think, like mm. what I really strive for, which is I can't just be all entertainment all the time right. because it will make me crazy. I have right. to like love other things. Like travel. Yeah. All right. I got one more question for you. Yeah. My favorite one. If you could recommend one book to the current president of the United States, what book would it be? He got to read all of them. Okay. He got to read all of them. Start. He has to read every book by a person of color. So every single every one. one. Like I don't care. What if it's like a Ben Carson book? What a waste. Well, that has to. There has to be an order. Okay. So I'm proposing that a committee of people of color and LGBTQ folks have to sit down and come up with this master list okay. uh, in order. What he has to read. Um, he has to read everything by 
James Baldwin. He has sure. to read everything by Bell Hooks. He has to read everything. I, and I also think he needs to read he needs to read magazines. He needs to read newspapers from other countries. Mm-hmm. He needs to read a newspaper that has been translated into English that tells him what's going on in other places. Right. Because I think that he truly just thinks that we're alone. Right. Except for his like buddies that he goes and hangs right. out with. And his enemies. And his enemies. But I don't think he truly understands like what is the day-to-day life for someone in North Korea? What's the day-to-day life for someone in Turkey? What's going on? Like y- right. you need more knowledge. He needs all of the knowledge that he right. didn't have to get growing up. Because right. he clearly didn't have to get any of it. He needs a book. He needs the elements of style book just to teach him how to write and use grammar and punctuate oh, I thought properly. You meant like a book about getting dressed because mm. he could use that style book. Too. That's that's true too. You got to recommend for that. Who I don't know, but I I'm mean, sure like Stacy London has a book. Yeah, we need <laughs> Karamo to, Brown. I'm we, sure we need to get him just Vogue maybe. Oh no, Karamo's not style. Tan Tan is style from Queer Eye. Oh, I don't watch. Tan is style. I'm sure he's got a book. Yeah, read that. Just or just like look at a picture. If, if Donald helpful. Trump was seen with a book, any book, I think that would take like somebody took a picture of him and he was just holding a book. I think I would have point 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 zero 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 one percent more respect for him. But here's my question. If he was seen with a book and it's not his own book, let's take his own book out of it. What book do you think it would be? Realistically. That he would realistically have? Realistically, if you saw him holding a book, like what do you think that book might be? How to win friends and influence people. <laughs> Like some 1980s bullshit sure. self-help. Sure. I don't. I mean, I've never even thought about that, but you just saying that I'm making me be like, well, what would that book even be? I think it'd be some like how to win and crush it business. Or like well, the four-hour work week or something. Yeah. He could read The Happiness Advantage. You know that one by Sean I, Acor? Okay, someone just was telling me about this yesterday. I know The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin. I think her name something Rubin. Mm-hmm. But I don't know The Happiness Advantage, but I've heard it's great. Yeah, it's just a good book about... Um, yeah, about oh my god, I can't believe I didn't mention the art of travel. No, well now you did. God, the art of travel. Everyone read that one. Even more than vagabonding, I feel like it's like it's just drier than vagabonding, but it's like how to get yourself in the right mindset for absorbing other places. Mm. Um, no, the happiness advantage is just a good quick read about like scanning the world for things that are positive and bring you joy, like we were talking about before. Wait, I have another book about this. It's called Joyful by Ingrid Fatel Lee, and I just read it and I'm obsessed with it. It's all about finding joy in your aesthetic. So See, it's about the aesthetics of this joy. This is why you gave me the paper and the oh, pen yeah. so I could write down. What's this it's one It's called? called Joyful. Okay. And basically, so we have this sponsor. It's called My Mentor Book Club. And I don't normally do this in the middle of the show. It's also the end of the show. But they send you two nonfiction hardback books to your door. And you don't pick them. They just send them to you. Cool. And I got Joyful in this box. And at first, I'm going to be honest, I was like, I don't know how I feel about this. Like they're going to send me something that I don't care about or they're going to send me stuff all by white men. Yeah. And my first box was two women. And my second box was two men, but they were all different. Like one was a memoir. One was this book, Joyful. One was a book about thirst and like water mm. politics in the world. But this Joyful book, she is a designer. She like works at IDEO or studied at IDEO. And it's all about finding joy in the aesthetics of your world. So like what things, color, um, sparkle, abundance. So something like confetti is super joyful because it's a handful of the same little tiny things. But if you just took one little tiny piece of paper, you'd be like, this is sad and my house is dirty. Yeah. But like <laughs> confetti is great. Or like that circular things bring joy. And so yeah. the book is all about finding things that visually and like aesthetically bring you joy and then incorporating them into your world. And now I can't not see it. Yeah. Places. Like she talks about transcendence, like things that float. So like hot air balloons or clouds. And like she's done all this research and talked to all these people about the things that bring them joy. And it's amazing. Yeah. I have these like 
glitter tennis shoes that now I'm wearing all the time because they make me so happy. Yeah. And they're sparkling and they reflect light and they're gold. And I wore them on my wedding day. So they bring me joy for that too, because it's like this memory of, you know, family and celebration, but I never really thought about it in that way. Mm -hmm. I actually was having a conversation about joyful when someone brought up the happiness advantage. Oh, interesting. So now I'm doing it the reverse. Yeah. I wonder how they dovetail together because from what I remember of it, it was very much what stuck with me about it was that, uh, he talks about negative scanning versus positive scanning, how when you look at uh, an upcoming situation or even just looking around your house, like you're looking for like the problems or what's mm. sticking out. And I really resonated with that because in my work, you know, especially like in comedy, you're looking for the string to pull and the mm-hmm. thing to poke at and the what can I grab and subvert and invert mm. and make fun of so that people will laugh. Um, so it was bleeding over into my everyday life where I was just like looking for things to be wrong instead of looking for things to be right. Yeah. That's really all I remember from the book, but it has, it helped a lot. <laughs> I love it. Okay. Well, do you have anything else you want to say before we get out of here? Um, no, just like everybody, just be nice. Everybody be nice. It's, <laughs> Tracy's a good podcaster. I'm a good <laughs> podcaster. Everybody just let us be good. We were talking about, um, you know, people like uh, correcting each other and stuff. And I feel like when you have smart listeners like you and I both do, it can be tough because everyone is so smart and wants to like actually each other and like it's that's not spreading joy no spread joy by telling me that I'm perfect all the time (laughs) thank you thank you I like to be your favorite human in the world and please send me dms about how much you love me and not dms with constructive criticism yeah she's really great and trust me she's thinking about all the stuff you're already pointing out It's true. Okay. So Tani's back next week. We're talking about Home Fire by Camila Shamsi. And I can tell you right now, there will be spoilers. So if you haven't read the book, read the book. You have a week. It's so quick. You'll love it. It's amazing. I Mm -hmm. loved it. All right, Tani, thank you so much. And we'll see you. you next week. Thank you all so much for listening today. And thank you to Tani Newsome. Tani will be back next week for the Stacks Book Club, where we're discussing Home Fire by Camila Shamsi. For more of the Stacks, follow us on social media using the links in the show notes. And to see our articles and reviews, go to our website, thestackspodcast.com. To join the Stacks Pack and get inside access to this show, like perks and the book club and more, go to patreon.com slash the Stacks. Make sure you're subscribed to the show wherever you get this podcast. And if you're listening through Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Our graphic designer is Robin McCright, and our theme music is from To